Um, this is a display of uh, the New Testament really chronologically set out. That long bar in the middle is the book of Acts, kind of the storyline of the church expanding in the book of Acts. Um, all of the other New Testament books are placed here chronologically moving across the page uh, to the best that we can determine when they were written. Okay, So the Bible's not arranged chronologically, our New Testaments. It's not that Matthew wrote, then Mark, then Luke, and then John. Then they wrote out the book of Acts, and then Paul wrote Romans. That is not at all how it's arranged. This is how it's arranged. And in, in fact, over here, the first book that was written is probably the book of James. It falls way back in the, at the end of Scripture. Uh, but the first book is probably the book of James that was written. But what I want to do for a moment is just highlight the book of Acts here, uh, stretching across here. And I want to talk about Paul's epistles right there, okay? Paul writes 13 epistles, and it's actually kind of easy to remember how they go together because Paul writes them um, in the course of his missionary expeditions, okay? Um, Paul comes to Christ in Acts chapter 9, and um, he spends some time preparing for those kind of things. Um, he um, begins to help out at this church in Antioch. It's about 100 miles north of Jerusalem. And from there, he goes out on, on a missionary journey. We call it his first missionary journey. And he goes pretty much due north from there to an area called Galatia. Galatia is an area. It's a region. It's not a city. He goes to this area of Galatia. He, he plants a number of churches, and then he comes back. And after that first journey, he writes a letter back to that church, those churches in Galatia to kind of straighten some things out. Um, they had heard what he said, but some other teachers came in after Paul, and, and he writes back to them. So he goes on this first missionary journey, then he writes the book of Galatians. After a little bit of time, he heads out on a second missionary journey, and he expands his ministry and, and goes a little further east and ends up um, in, in Macedonia. He's trying to go some other places. He ends up in Macedonia on this second missionary journey. And while he's on that journey, he writes two more books to churches he had just recently planted that he writes back to, and he writes First and Second Thessalonians. He finishes up that second missionary journey, and then he gets back to Antioch. They send him out on a third journey, and he expands uh, the reach even more, visits all the churches he'd planted before. And um, he, on that missionary journey, which lasts uh, almost four years, um, on that journey, he writes three books, um, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and then from Corinth, he actually writes Romans, the book that we're looking at right now. Um, from Corinth, he travels to Jerusalem, where he's arrested. Um, he's arrested. He is put in prison eventually in Caesarea, and then as a prisoner makes this long, miraculous journey that's described in Acts chapter 27, 28. Um, he makes this journey to Rome where he arrives as a prisoner. Um, while he's in prison, he writes the four books of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Um, he's released from prison, does some other missionary work, um, is imprisoned again, and at the end of his life, he writes 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy. Okay, so that's kind of how it flows. But let me give you the easy way to remember this, okay? It it's actually flows pretty easily. He goes on his first missionary journey, and he writes one book, Galatians. Second missionary journey, two books, First and Second Thessalonians. Third missionary journey, three books, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Romans. Fourth missionary journey, no, fourth time he ends up in prison, and he writes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. Then at the end of his life, First Timothy, 
Titus, 2 Timothy. So Paul's books are arranged like this. He writes one, two, three, four, then three. Um, it's actually an easy way to kind of figure it out. He writes Galatians, First and Second Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, and then 1 Timothy, Titus, and right at the end of his life, he writes 2 Timothy. Um, having that arranged gives you a little bit of a flow and kind of an understanding of, okay, how does this all fit together? Um, why is Romans first of Paul's epistles? Because it's the largest. Um, and that's what we've been looking at over the last uh, number of months as we have gone through this, this um, kind of matured presentation of the gospel that Paul is presenting in the book of Romans. And as he has presented that, um, he has talked about a number of different things. In fact, in our passage today, he's going to say, I've been kind of harsh in presenting this material of, um, uh, of how we're all sinners, Jews and Gentiles, all sinners. Um, and the only hope for any of us, Jew or Gentile, is faith in Jesus Christ. And um, putting our trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, validated by the resurrection. And one of the accomplishments of Christ uh, in his victory is uh, that he gave the gift of the Holy Spirit to us that helps us um, live out the Christian life. And um, we can trust that that is true because God has got a history of being trustworthy and he's got a future. He will be trustworthy. And then when Paul gets to chapter 12, he says, given all of this being true, let me tell you how to relate. Present yourself to God love one another, and get along with those outside the church and even those who are your enemies. Um, that's kind of the flow. One through um, three, we are all equally guilty before God, Jew and Gentile. And this is an important part for Paul to, to say Jews and Gentiles are equally sinners, equally saved the same way, and equally responsible to carry out the gospel and, and give up their rights when they need to. This is really important because the church in Rome had been divided, and there's division. He's trying to unify them around the gospel. So chapters 1 through 3 were equally sinners. Uh, chapters 4 and 5 were saved by grace through faith. Uh, we grow in the Holy Spirit, and he matures us into the image of Christ, chapters 6, 7, and 8. We can trust God, 9, 10, and 11. And how that practically plays itself out is 12 through 16, where we're at today. In, in moving through 12 through 16, Paul starts with God, present yourself a living sacrifice. Then he talks about um, loving one another in the community and using your gifts. Um, and then he kind of moves towards those who are either outside or who are in opposition. Um, I came across a quote that I want to use just to review kind of that how to get along with others. <laughs> um, it's actually from listening to something Michelle Knight was saying. She quoted G.K. Chesterton who said this, The Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because they are generally the same people. <laughs> um, the Bible also tells us to love our family, yeah, so draw your own conclusion there. Um, but but I, this idea of, of, of loving people because it, it provides a, a reputation for the church as a group of loving people. We love God, we love one another, we love others, and people will want to be a part of that group. And everybody makes a contribution. Um, this brings us to this last section in Romans. A lot of people feel like Paul ends really the book of Romans in chapter 15, verse 13. He kind of ends it, and now what he's doing is just tidying up things at the end. He talks about his partners in ministry. 
his plans for ministry and his any request prayer for ministry and that's what we're going to look at today and, and next week as well when we look at chapter 16. Um, I've got a couple resources out at the Connection Center. They're available on the website as well. One of them is really practical. As Paul is going to talk about his plans and his, um, his dreams of planting churches, he's going to talk about doing that in Spain. Um, Chuck Swindoll has a, an article about dreaming big but making it a reality, moving your dreams into reality and what it takes to do that. And it, and it takes partnership with other people and it takes some enthusiasm and tenacity. So it's a really good practical article. And then there's another great article by Frank Thielman, really short, one page, on mission and how the gospel has a universal appeal. Paul is, um, Paul is confident that everyone needs the gospel, and so he wants to take the gospel to as many places as he can, especially to unreached people. Um, and, and we're going to see that playing itself out in this, in this passage as well. Um, and, and as we focus on Paul's plans and his partners, you're going to see that everybody's involved. Paul has a, different, a particular way that he plays that self out, and plays that, plays that out himself. Um, but he has a lot of other people who are players in all of this. And when we get to chapter 16, you're going to be, see that some of them are names you may have heard before, and we know something about them. But there are a lot of people whose names you probably have never even heard, and we know nothing about them, but we know that, that Paul mentions them because they're part of the team. Um, everybody's involved, and, and we believe that around here. We be, everybody has a contribution to make. Not everybody's a Paul. Not everybody is a, a Phoebe uh, that we'll see next week. But everybody has a contribution to make. And we talk about that as serving in your shape. Um, it, it really is your unique design. Everybody has a particular way that, that you can serve and make a contribution to ministry. Um, scripture talks about this in a couple of different places. Psalm 139 in the message says, Oh yes, you shaped me from inside out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you. Hi God, you're breathtaking. God shaped each one of us individually. We, we are all unique in our design. In, in our book, in Romans, Paul says this, Since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellent excellent formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be. Um, God formed us and shaped us into who we are, so let's just be who we're supposed to be and serve in that way. Um, Don't push yourself into molds that you don't fit into. Find out how you're shaped and and just release yourself to serve in that way. And we use the acronym SHAPE, S-H-A-P-E, um, from uh, some stuff Rick Warren put together to help us understand what that means. You, you need to use your spiritual gifts, your spiritually empowered service. What is it, what is it that you can do that you just feel something different? The, the Spirit is empowering it. Um, and I usually talk a, about it this way. It's not just things you like to do. It's things that when you're doing them, you feel God's pleasure in, in you, and you feel kind of released and empowered and... Other people respond well to it. You do it, and other people respond well. That's something where God has spiritually gifted you. And that may change through, through your life. You can develop um, skills in these areas. You can grow in all of this. Um, but it's a spiritual gift. It's something supernatural going on. Then there's your passion, the things that your, your heart is engaged with, your, your heart. 
What do you talk about all the time? What do you think about? What is, what is your passion that God just has you wired this way? Then there are some things that are just natural abilities. You're just good at. You don't necessarily think there's anything supernatural. You're just good at finances. Or you're good at building stuff. Or you're good at encouraging people. Um, you're good at, at supporting others. You're good at strategizing. Um, you're good at making money. <laughs> And, and giving that to other people who need it. I mean, there's, it's just something you're good at. Maybe your natural abilities. Your personality plays into this. Um, that un, unchanging orientation you have to life. You, you, can, you can focus it different ways, but you're always going to be either upbeat. And, you know, you're just a positive guy. Or you're that person who's, who's behind the scenes and you kind of evaluate. And you're, you know, looking at ways you can improve. That's just how you're wired. Or your personality is, is more to kind of uh, sit back and support others. Maybe your personality is, I want to be up front. It's, it's, it's your unchanging orientation. You're just kind of this way. It's your personality. And then finally, God uses our experiences, the things in our lives that he's brought us through, um, to say, yeah, because I've done that, I think I can help people in this way. That whole complex of how God has shaped you, your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, your experiences, is, is where you should be serving. And, and, and Paul has multiple gifts. He serves in multiple ways, but all of us have a, have a part to play. Um, let me just introduce you to kind of the multifaceted way that Paul serves. Paul is certainly a pastor, shepherding churches with, with compassion. His heart is engaged. He has a, a compassionate heart for the church at Rome because they've been through some tough times. All the Christians were kicked out of Rome. They were, you know, been allowed back. He didn't plant the church, but he knows this about them. And, and they've, when they came back to Rome, there's been some tension between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians and even persecution from the Jews who weren't Christians. Well, because of all of this conflict, boy, he wants to shepherd them, and he writes the book of Romans to unify them around the truths of the gospel. Um, and in that way, he's also a theologian. He's guiding them with truth. He's, he's letting them know, and in a lot of his other um, letters, he says, here's where you've gone off track. This is wrong. You need to correct this. Don't, don't bring um, the law into your salvation. Um, don't let... Um, super special knowledge replace just intimacy with Christ. That's Colossians. Um, he guides them in truth, and he, he wants to make sure they're grounded in, in, in the right things and, and thinking the right way. But he's also a pastor who, who wants to plant churches, and that's what we see in this passage as well, is that is his passion is to plant churches all over. And he's not just going to plant churches all in the same place. He's going to say, I plant a church here. It can reproduce, so I'm going to go to a new unreached place. That's Paul's passion. So he, he pastors churches, shepherding them, taking care of them, making sure they're getting along okay. Um, he has a heart for them. Uh, when he writes the letter to 1 Corinthians, it's pretty harsh. Um, they respond in um, some ways that are negative initially and then positive. And he writes 2 Corinthians to kind of go, are we okay? Because he's got a heart. Are we okay? Is our relationship all straight? Um, he's more of a theologian in, in Romans and in Colossians. Um, but his passion to just get the gospel out is seen um, all over, particularly in the book of Acts. But here at the end of, of Romans, we see that as well. And so we're, we're at this 
last closing section. And Paul's sections where he closes the gospel, um, other than Colossians, which is a little bit longer, all of them are usually pretty short. Doug Moose says this, The closing section of Romans is by far the longest of all, Paul, all of Paul's letters. He goes into so much detail because he's writing to a church he's never visited. These are not people he knows. He did not plant the church. The church is likely planted uh, by converts from the day of Pentecost, which would have been um, 20 years earlier, 20, 25 years earlier. Um, the church has gone through some difficulties, again, kicked out of Rome, allowed to come back. Um, and, and so he's trying to make as many connections as he can by sending greetings from people who are with him, who the people in Rome know, and by sending his greetings to the people in Rome that he knows. That's, that's all of what chapter 16 is going to be about. So it's kind of this long end of chapter 15, all of chapter 16, where he kind of winds things down. And it's a narrative section, but there's a lot for us to learn here. Chuck Swindoll says, having explained God's master plan of salvation, chapters 1 through 11, highlighting both the vertical and horizontal dimensions of grace connected with God loving one another, and having encouraged the believers in Rome to fulfill their responsibilities as ambassadors of that grace, Paul turns his attention to the future. He's, he's talking about what's true and what they need to be doing. But now he's going to say, okay, so here's my plan. Here, here's what you can expect from me. And what he's planning is Spain. The fundamental concern that animates the section is mission. Paul wants the Roman church to rally together around his gospel and support his mission to Spain. Um, I've said this before when I introduced the, the book. Um, this letter is a missionary support letter. Uh, let me ask a question. How many of you have ever written a support letter for a mission trip? Have you written a support letter? Okay. How many of you received a letter for a support trip? Okay. Um, what, what the person does is, is the person basically says, here's my passion. Here's what I'm going to do. And will you help me either by praying or, or giving me some money? That's what Paul does in Romans. <laughs> Paul says, here's what I do. I take the gospel around the world and I'm going to a new place, Spain, and I need you people in Rome, I need you to help me, but I know you're not going to help me if you're a divided community. I need to unite you around the gospel so you're united. So when I get there, you, you are united around the gospel, and I can say, gosh, let's celebrate this. And I'm taking that gospel to Spain. I, I need some support. I need a couple sandwiches, maybe a translator. I need uh, somebody who can guide me because I'm going to this new place. That's what he does. Here, here's, here's how the flow of what we're looking at looks uh, Paul's going to talk about his ministry as being priestly, as bring, being powerful in the power of the Holy Spirit, and a pioneering ministry. So he's going to say, here's what my ministry's like. Here's what I've been trying to do. I'm bringing people to God in the power of the Holy Spirit, and now I want to go to new places. And then he's going to talk about his plans. He plans to visit Rome, but only after he has gone to Jerusalem to deliver a gift, um, an offering that he's been collecting on all of his journeys. He's going to deliver that to the Christian church in, in Jerusalem. Then he's going to make his way to Rome so that he can eventually get to Spain. And then at the end of this section, he's going to say, and pray for me as I'm doing all of this. That's what we're going to see. Now, to carry all this out, to make it from Corinth to Jerusalem, then back to Rome, and then to Spain, Paul's got to stick to it. Um, he's got to be more than excited uh, Chuck Swindoll, in the article I have out there, calls it enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is a sustained positive attitude fueled by the steadfast conviction that one's vision must become reality. Excitement is just, oh, that looks fun. I'm going to do it for a little while. 
Enthusiasm is, gosh, I'm committed to this. I've got a passion to making this. And when it gets hard, I'm still going to stick to it. When it's a challenge, I'm going to find a way. And so Paul's going to describe his ministry, and then he's going to talk about his plans. He describes his ministry first as he's a priest. He's bringing people to God. Let me explain this a little bit with a contrast. Um, In the Old Testament, the priest was the person who was at the tabernacle, at the temple. They were kind of the person who was comfortable being in the presence of God. And when you as a worshiper came in, they ushered you into the presence of God. They took you into the presence of God. The direction was you into God's presence. So everybody loves the priest because they helped you understand the sacrifice. They taught you a little bit about it. Um, they, They let you know what the ritual was you're supposed to do. And that ushered you into the presence of God and the fellowship of God that culminated with a, a, a meal offering that you ate with the priest, kind of celebrating, I'm connected to God. That was the priest bringing people to God. The prophet, on the other hand, works the other direction. Okay? The prophet is not taking people to God. The prophet is bringing God's message to the people. Priests were popular. Prophets, they're a problem. <laughs> Because they're bringing God's message to the people, and most of the time it's not a popular message. That's why the kings love the priests. The kings, every time a prophet shows up for a king, they're just like, oh my gosh, here we go again. What have we got wrong now? Uh, They're prophets. They bring God's word to the people. Paul is saying, listen, I'm a priest with you guys. And he has been prophetic, bringing God's word to them. But now he's going to bring this down to, I'm bringing you into the presence of God. And so he's going to talk warmly about them. He starts off by saying this, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. When I look at those three qualities, I'm filled with goodness, full of knowledge, and competent to instruct one another, I think that's a mature Christian. He basically looks at the Church of Rome, says, you guys are mature. Um, you've got character, goodness, you know what you're supposed to do, you've got some skills that you, you know, and you relate well to one another. You've got relational skills, um, goodness, and knowledge, and ability to relate to others. That's a mature Christian. A, a church full of those people, as Chuck Swindoll is going to say in a minute, would be a great church. Um, this idea of goodness is not kind of that the southern term, oh, they're good people. You know, my neighbors, they're good people. You know what that means? They don't steal stuff from me. They're good people. I don't know them very well. I don't know if they're really good people. I think they are, by the way, if you're watching. Um, but when we say somebody's good people, that just means they're not real bad people, okay? That's not this word for goodness. Um, Everett Harrison says this word for goodness, which is a little bit different than just regular word good, um, It's not a native disposition, but it's the moral excellence wrought into the texture of life by the Spirit's indwelling. This is is the Holy Spirit actively in your life, making you deeply good, a good person of character. Um, Based on that character, and knowing what you need to know about the truth, and being able to relate to others, Paul says, you guys are good people. (laughs) You, You know what you're supposed to know. I'm just reminding you of it. Again, Chuck Swindoll says this, these three qualities essentially describe a mature Christian. Imagine the impact uh, impact churches would have on the world if they were composed of people who are morally clean and ethically pure, good people, 
filled with such knowledge as to be completely informed and, and adequately aware. They were full of knowledge and able to educate one another and hold each other accountable. Um, able to, to relate to others and, and reproduce that goodness and knowledge in some other people. They were disciple makers. They were mature Christians. That's what Paul says. And he, he's saying, you guys are these kind of people. Now, I'm, I've had to remind you of some stuff. He's going to say, yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. Because of the grace God gave to me to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles. Um, I wrote you, not because you didn't know any of this, you know it. I'm just reminding you and trying to get you engaged with it more. Um, because this is the ministry Christ gave me. I, I'm, I'm ministering to the Gentiles. This, you're a Gentile church, and I want these Gentile churches to be strong so they can make an impact in the Gentile world. And now Paul's going to make it explicit. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, my ministry here that, that God's called me to do is, is I'm presenting sacrifices to God, and my sacrifice that I present to God is this Gentile mission. I've been planting churches um, in the Gentile world, not ignoring the Jews, but my passion is to go and take the gospel to the Gentile world so that I can stand before God one day and say, God, here's, here's the church composed of Gentiles, the gospel, not just a Jewish thing, but, but Gentiles, and, and, and I'm going to present this to you. It's, it's, here's my offering the Gentile church. Now, I think for, for us, I want to talk about that in, in maybe three ways. Um, one, Paul himself, um, in a unique way, Paul planted Gentile churches. The whole existence of the Gentile church is what Paul was called to create. Um, he, he couldn't take any credit for the 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 Jewish church, that happened on the day of Pentecost. God just did that, and it was just miraculous it happened. But Paul has, has really committed himself to this creation of a Gentile church. In a derivative way, I, I think at one level, I'm responsible one day to stand before the Lord, and I feel this responsibility in a heavy way to say, Lord, here's Fellowship Bible Church. It's what you called me to, to invest in and to develop. And, and, and Father, here's Fellowship Bible Church, a, a church of good people who knew what they were supposed to know, and they were loving one another and, and taking the mission to the world. Father, here's my offering. Now, you, you may not be a Paul, you may not be a pastor of a church, but, but who's the group of people that you're called? Maybe your family. Um, maybe your marriage, that, that one day you'll stand before the Lord and you'll say, Lord, here's what I did. I created this community and I want to present them to you because, because they, were, they were people who had character. They knew all they were supposed to know. <laughs> they loved other people around them well. Here's my offering to you. Um, that, that's what God calls us to do because each one of us is a priest. Um, every one of us is a priest. Um, Paul's not just a priest, though. He's a preacher. He's proclaiming the gospel. He wants the gospel to go out, and that's the glorious thing that he wants it to happen. And he doesn't do it in his own strength. He does it in the strength of the Lord. Here's what he says. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. 
I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Again, I didn't accomplish this. Christ accomplished it through me in leading Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit, from Jerusalem all the way around Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Um, we're going to come back to this idea of him doing it in the power of signs and wonders and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's empowered by God. It's because Christ has accomplished this. But let me, let me put together what, what he, the area he's talking about. He says, I've done this from Jerusalem, um, which is kind of where Paul's base was. He was leaving Jerusalem to go to Damascus to persecute Christians. But, it, but he's been in Jerusalem. But he says, all the way um, to Elycrium. Um, it, it's the area that's circled on your map there. Um, and, and what he says is not just, I went there. He, he says, I've gone all around it. I, I, he's basically taken the gospel to this big area. That, and that's true. He, he went to the area of Galatia on his first missionary trip. Then uh, uh, he went to Macedonia, to Achaia. He's now going to make it to Italy. He's going to talk about going to Spain, but he's gone all over the place. And it's not that he's finished the job because everyone's a believer. He's finished the job because... Um, he has planted churches that could now plant churches. For instance, um, I mean, Paul didn't even plant the church at, at Colossae. This guy named Epaphroditus did. But that church at Colossae um, that was planted by one of Paul's um, associates, they plant a church in Laodicea down the Lycus River Valley. So he, he's, he's planting churches that are reproducing churches. Um, in the mission world, it's called a church planting movement. That's what they're, they're, they're trying to establish. And, and he's saying, I've done that in this area. And he's done it in the power of the Spirit. What Christ has done in him, empowered by the Spirit. And he, and he mentions signs and wonders. Um, Frank Thielman says, the, 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 the phrase signs and wonders was a well-understood expression for divinely produced unusual events that occurred at critical points in the nation's history. Let me see if I can illustrate this for you. That there's a pattern in, in God's working that when something new starts, there's miracle and judgment. And it's pretty, pretty significant. There's, there's an outbreak of miracles, and then this strange, severe judgment, and neither one of them are normal. Neither one of them are normative. The outbreak of the miraculous isn't normative, and even the, the severity of the judgment is not normative. Let me, let me illustrate this. From the very beginning, um, God created the world miraculously out of nothing. God creates the world. There's this miracle of creation. He puts Adam and Eve in that miraculously designed for them world. Then they sin, and they are judged. They have to they have to leave the garden. This perfect environment, they have to leave. I've said it many times. Moving is a part of the curse. If if you when you have to move, you just kind of go. This is cursed. Moving is hard. They sinned. They had to move. Okay. So right at the beginning, a miracle, and then a severe judgment. You're out of the you're out of the Garden of Eden. Um, let's keep moving down in history. Um, the Israelites are imprisoned in, in Egypt. And um, there's a series of miracles that take place. Um, plagues and deliverance and parting the Red Sea. Lots of uh, kind of this outbreak of the miraculous because God is redeeming them. He's going to give them the law. But then when they get into the promised land... <clears throat> Remember Achan? He's, he's the guy when they defeated Jericho. He stole stuff from the tent that he wasn't supposed to take. They were supposed to leave it all there. 
and they stone him and his family. Severe judgment. Um, in the book of Leviticus, um, we get the new plans for the way they're going to worship in the tabernacle. There hasn't been a, a dwelling place uh, for God uh, up until that point. Uh, the Spirit of God's going to indwell the tabernacle, that miraculous indwelling. And part of what happens in Leviticus um, 8, 9, and 10 is that the priestly ministry starts. The, the presence of God is indwelling the temple or the tabernacle at that point. Um, and, and a fire miraculously starts inside. It's the first fire that's going to be used to light all of the subsequent fires to, um, to have all of the sacrifices made. It's miraculous. Well, in Leviticus chapter 10, right away, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, do something crazy at the temple, and God judges them, and fire comes out of the temple or out of the tabernacle and kills them, burns them up to a crisp right there on the, on the, on the doorstep. Miracles? Judgment. Let's go to the New Testament. Um, the, the church is born in the New Testament, um, the day of Pentecost. Miraculous events are taking place. People healed all over the place. People speaking in tongues. Signs and wonders being done. And Ananias and Sapphira, they're judged because early on, they make a promise that they're going to sell a piece of land, give all of that money, the proceeds to the church to help with the, the people in the church, and they keep some of it back from themselves. They come to church at two different times, and they both drop dead in church. Outbreak of miraculous, severe judgment. Neither one of them is normative. Even though I think our church is pretty aware, because um, in our last capital campaign, our contributions are 103% of what the pledges were made. I'm pretty sure some of you guys know this pattern, and because I preached through Acts 5, um, and I preached through uh, Leviticus, that, that a lot of you didn't make the vow. You, you're just like, hey, I'm not going to pledge money, because if I don't give it, I'm going to die. Um, and so a lot of you didn't make pledges, but you gave money. You clever little group out there. Um, the, the pattern, though, is... There's an outbreak of miraculous and severe judgment when God is doing new things. And, and Paul is saying, listen, as I'm planting these new churches, um, I, I was able to do that because of what Christ was doing in me through these signs and wonders. In 2 Corinthians, he's going to say that's a sign of being an apostle. Um, and, and, and I did this in the power of the Spirit. And, and he says that I've fully done this. Here's his deal. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I'll not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. He's fully done it. He's finished his mission. This idea of, of filling it up, he's filled it up to the brim. It's, it's, he's, he's finished his mission. It's, it's as if this whole area has been full of the gospel. He's, he's, he's put it there so that it's going to spread. Um, he's finished the project. He's brought his, that project in that area. He's brought it to a culmination, which leads him to say, now I'm ready to be a new pioneer. I'm going to reach the unreached. He wants to go to unreached people groups. That's his plan. And it always has been his plan. He says this, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. 
so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, and he quotes from Isaiah 52, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. He says, my plan has always been to be a church planner. I always wanted to go. I didn't want to come in behind somebody else. By the way, I'm not wired that way. Um, not my personality to be a church planner. I admire them. I think church planners are great. But those guys who are just like, you know, give me four people and I'm going to go to smack over and start a church. God bless you. Um, I'm just happy for you. Just not my deal. But there are some people like Paul who were just wired. I, always, I want to go someplace new. They're pioneers. They're, they're out there. And, and, and Paul connects this to Isaiah 52, which is part of the servant songs in Isaiah um, it's right before Isaiah 53, which is great messianic psalm uh, that, that is very clearly messianic. But this is still talking about the servant of the Lord, the Messiah, who says, um, because of me, those who are told will, will, haven't been told are going to see. Those who haven't under, heard would understand. And Paul's going, yeah, what the Messiah's doing, I'm carrying that out. I'm, I'm doing that task, getting it to where people who haven't... Um, who haven't heard are going to hear. And he says, because I've been going to all these new places, I haven't been able to get to you because my deal is not to go to where there's already a church and there's already a church there. Um, But he's going to need them. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I'm going to see you on my way to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come see you guys in Rome on my way, not planning a church there. That's not my deal. I'm going to a new place. I'm going to Spain, and while I'm there and get refreshed, I'm, I need you guys to assist me on my way. Let me kind of show you what's happening here. This is Paul's um, third missionary journey. Um, Paul has um, started the journey um, here in Antioch. This was his sending church about 100 miles north of Jerusalem. This Antioch church has sent him out on these journeys. He's made his way on the third journey back through the area of Galatia and visited some churches he had planted there. Um, He's going to make his way back through some other churches that he planted here in Asia. He's going to make his way all the way over uh, through Macedonia, Thessalonica, where he had been before, Uh, come down here, and and he's stopped in in Corinth, which is where he's at. He's in Corinth on this journey, and he is saying, I'm getting ready to leave Corinth, and where he's going to go is from Corinth. He's probably going to have to make this journey back, but he's on his way back to Jerusalem. That's where he's, he's headed, is back to Jerusalem. And so he says, I'm going to Jerusalem, but then from Jerusalem, I'm going to come and journey back to see you. And this journey is described in the latter chapters of Acts, this journey from Jerusalem. And he's actually arrested in Jerusalem, imprisoned in Caesarea. And then as a prisoner on a boat, he is taken on this crazy Acts 27, 28 journey and makes it up to Rome as a prisoner. And so he's in Corinth, he's going to Jerusalem, Then he's going to make it to Rome. But when he gets to Rome, his deal is, I don't want to just stay in Rome. I'm just passing through, refreshed, because I want to go to Spain. And by the way, Spain at this time is not the Spain that we think of. This is not Spain. Let's go vacation in Spain. This is not Spain. This is the Wild West, the Wild Frontier. This is the borders of civilization out there. And that's where Paul is going. That's his passion. I I want to get all the way out there. 
and he needs help. Doug Moose says, Spain is a long way from Antioch, his original sending church. He knows he will need a new base of operations in addition to financial support. The Romans can uh, perhaps also help with translators and other specific needs. He's stopping on the way because if you'll see, he's, here's Jerusalem, here's Antioch. He, the, to be sent from here all the way to here is a little too far. So he says, I'm going to uh, leave here. I'm going to come back and see you guys in Rome and you in Rome will help me go to Spain. That's his hope. Um, so this, this whole letter is written to unify them together around the gospel so there'll be a stable church that's all getting along. So when he shows up, they have some good fellowship. He can stay for a while and they can help send him to Spain because he's a pioneer. He wants to go where the gospel's not preached. Um, he probably makes it there and then ends up imprisoned again in Rome at the end of his life. But Paul's also a pastor. He's taking care of God's people. <laughs> um, he's, he's in Corinth, and, and he's going to Jerusalem because he's got an offering that he's been collecting from Gentile churches to take back to the Jewish Christian church in Jerusalem. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do so, to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. Um, these churches in Macedonia and Achaia, northern Greece and southern Greece, where Paul had planted churches in Thessalonica, Berea, um, Corinth, these places, he's collecting this offering and he's heading back to Jerusalem because Paul wants, even though he's a missionary to the Gentiles, he wants the Jewish church to know, I like you guys too, and you're struggling back there in Jerusalem. So I've collected this offering from the Gentile churches, and they want to say, oh yeah, they're struggling. We love them, and, and we appreciate the heritage of, of, our, um, of Christianity coming from the Jews. He says it this way, For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, and they have, the spiritual blessings of the Jews being the channel through whom Messiah would come, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, then I'll go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. Um, now what Paul's going to do is he said, hey, so here's what I've been up to. Here's why I've been doing it. Here's where I'm going. Um, he's passionate about this. Um, and again, my, my question for you is, what are you passionate about? Are you passionate about these kind of things and you serve in your way? to make sure these things happen. Um, at the end of this passage, what he's going to do is he's going to ask them to pray. I'm going to come back and talk about that uh, next week, about him praying, because he actually asked them to pray for three things. He asked them to pray that the Jews wouldn't um, capture him, that his uh, gift would be accepted, and that he would make it safely to Rome. He says, pray for those things. We've got to talk about that because... Um, the Jews did attack him and arrested him. We have no idea what happened with the gift. And he made it to Rome, but as a prisoner. And that's the answers to the prayer. So we're going to come back and talk about God answering prayer and how he sometimes answers prayer. Uh, but how I would summarize all of this and, and then bring it down to apply to us is, is we need to be like Paul and say, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. What is your service? His was pastor, theologian, pioneer, church planter, shepherd, theologian. What's your shape? 
How do you bring glory to God with how you serve? Um, how, can, how can you be actively involved in carrying out this ministry? So I've got three next steps for you. <laughs> Number one, find your shape. Don't be Paul. Don't be Ken. What is your shape? What, what is it that one day you'll stand before the Lord and, and say, Lord, here's what I'm offering to you. For Paul, it's the Gentile church. For me, it's Fellowship Bible Church. What are you offering to the Lord? Maybe it's a, a particular ministry. Maybe it's a family. Or will you stand there and just go, gosh, I just watched everybody else do it. Or what will you as a priest stand before the Lord and offer him? Find your shape and serve. <laughs> don't, don't just, oh, I'm trying to figure it out. Don't figure it out your whole life. Try some things. It may change over time. You may grow in things over time. I think my gifting has changed over time. Um, gosh, the church I grew up in, no one would have told you I'd be a teacher. Um, I was just a gopher. <laughs> but I was faithful in a few things, and I think the Lord's given me a little bit more responsibility along the way, and I've tried to develop those gifts well. What are you going to offer to the Lord? Find your shape and serve and appreciate the gifting of others and work well with them. Understand we're all shaped differently. We've got different contributions to make and we need each other. Father, we thank you for these stories uh, that share with us Paul's heart and Paul's plans and Paul's life and the life of those around him. Uh, Father, I thank you for the clarity that this brings, even though it's, it's a narrative, um, Lord, that it, it, brings, it brings real life examples of how people had to struggle and, and figure out who they were and, and, and how they could serve you and then give, them, give their lives to that. And so, Father, I, I pray that, that our body would be the kind of body that is full of character and knowledge and investing in the lives of others. We pray that you would do that in your power, that Christ would make that happen. And we ask that in his name. Amen. Would you stand with us?